whatever you might happen, wherever your Bible might happen to be. So we're going to open this morning to the end of no, the book of Ezra. I just I changed it at the last minute. We'll be looking at Ezra chapter seven. Ezra chapter seven. Ezra, let me give you a sense. I, I preached through Ezra and Nehemiah. Goodness, in the last three or four years, I preached all the way through Ezra and Nehemiah. And Ezra, let me, let me give you a time setting for Ezra. If you, if you know the history of Israel, we had three, Israel as a united empire had three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. And during those three kingships for about 120 years, Israel was one of the major world powers. They would have rivaled Rome and Greece and Assyria and all the rest of the powers. They were, I mean, they were a major influence in that part of the world. But after those three kings, Solomon had two sons. Yeah, Solomon had two sons, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. They couldn't get along. Um, One of the sons took bad advice, and the kingdom split in half. And during that time, they had a whole series of kings, a whole series of judges. And you can read about that. Any guesses what book you can read about the series of judges in, AJ? Judges. Judges, yes. All right. And they had some good kings, some bad kings. And anyway, at the end of the day, neither part, neither neither northern, we'll call them northern and southern Israel, neither part would follow God, and God decided to disperse them for various reasons, which, as a history teacher, I'd love to get into, but let's just say for various reasons, God dispersed them. The northern tribes got taken into Assyria and just disappeared off the face of the earth. Southern tribes were carried into Babylon. They spent 70 years in Babylon. Um, because they had violated 70 Sabbaths, 77 years, 70 Sabbaths over 490 years. So God put them in captivity for 70 years. Now, that's cool. If you like history, that's a cool thing to study. Because the first group went, and the, then there was a first return 70 years after that. There was a second group went, and there was a return 70 years after that. And there was a third group that went captive, and they returned 70 years after that. So they all had their 70-year periods. Well, Ezra comes along, Ezra, Ezra comes along towards the end, and Ezra was one of the leaders who took the people back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. Alright, so we are we set? Do we know where we are in history? So Ezra was one of the leaders who went back to, to, to rebuild the city, kind of to put the finishing touches on the city. Um, so he came back, and that's where we find ourselves today. I preached on Haggai a few weeks ago. This is roughly the same time as Haggai was doing his preaching. Um, Ezra comes back, and we find that starting in Ezra chapter seven, verse one through ten. I like Ezra. Ezra is one of my one of my favorite people um, because Ezra has a plan of service that is spot on that can mean can do the same thing for us today as it did for Ezra. They went back into a city. I don't think we can get a real picture of how bad Jerusalem was left. When Jerusalem was conquered, I mean, they tore down the temple. They tore building stone from stone. It was in an absolute rubble. Um, uh, does anybody else watch Little House on the Prairie? It's on T.G. Cahar every day. All right, It's a great American program. In an episode I watched this week, the family had left their town of Walnut Grove. They'd been gone for a while. They came back, and the place was in a state. I mean, it really was. So they went back and it showed them cleaning up and getting things, getting their town put back in place. Kind of like what happened here. So Ezra was in charge of this. And it was a, a tremendous task. 
And I look at countries. I look at countries like like Western Europe. I look at the major countries of Western Europe in America: England, France, Ireland, Wales, Scotland, Germany. Um, all of these countries, at one time or another, had great Christian movements in them, where vast numbers of people were saved, and the cultures were primarily Christian. And yet, those things fell apart for various reasons. Um, America is the same way, and they fell apart. And they needed they need a spiritual revival. We live in one of those countries, Ireland. The greatest, some of the greatest English speaking preachers who ever lived preached in Ireland two and three hundred years ago. Um, George Whitfield, um, both of the um, both of the Wesley brothers preached here. D.L. Moody preached here. Some of the greatest, um, some of the greatest English-speaking preachers in history spoke in this country. And yet, down in our part of the country, there's a lot of movement up north. But down here in our part of the country, there never was a whole lot that happened. We're still waiting for this part of our island to be re- to be brought into where God wants it to be. And guess who is here now to do it? All right, the Whit- Whitfield had been here. John and Charles Wesley have been here. D.L. Moody's been here. All those great names have been here. Um, but guess whose turn it is now? Any guesses whose turn it is now to re- try to reach this country? Yours. Yeah, mine. All right? It's our job to reach this country with the gospel of Christ. And that's what Ezra did. Ezra went back to do, do the work of rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. And we've got a task to do to build up what God has given us. There's only two points, two major points in the outline. I want to look at verse 10 primarily. But I want to give you some background in verse 9. Um, I'm not going to give you read all the names of the first part of the chapter. Down in, uh, Get down to verse 6 though. This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king granted him all of his requests according to the hand of the Lord, according to the hand of the Lord, his According to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Some of the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the singers and the gatekeepers and the uh, uh, Nephium came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth year, uh, in the fifth month, which was the seventh year of the king. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah, they're kind of packaged together, right? Nehemiah did the practical work, he was in charge of rebuilding the city, rebuilding the walls. If you want to greatly, if you ever want to just really get fired up about God's work, read the book of Nehemiah. There's great pictures there. There's a picture of a guy, there's a, there's some of the guys there, when they were building, they had their builder's trowel in one hand, or they had their hammers in one hand, and guess what's in the other hand? You know what I mean? They had a sword in one hand, and all these tools in the other. So can you imagine sawing away with a sword in your hand? Hammering in nails. That's exciting. But anyway, this is the but there's a spiritual work. I don't want to get too much on Nehemiah. I preach on Ezra today, not Nehemiah. Ezra came back to lay the foundation because before the physical work could be done, there had to be a spiritual work done. And that's the way it is for us today. We have a lot we'd like to do. But as we seek to serve the Lord in practical ways, we need to make sure that our spiritual lives are right. And that's what Ezra did. He prepared their hearts spiritually. I think it's verse 6 is the key phrase here. It says the hand of the Lord 
was on Ezra. Uh, what does that mean? What do you think it means when the Bible says the hand of the Lord was on Ezra? God was with him. And the truth is that our God is our God is here today. Uh, look at verse um, verse six. I think I want to look at verse six first. Ezra came up from Babylon, and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. What do you think that means? He was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses. How would you put that in terms that it applies to our church today? Any ideas? Just kind of bring it up to date. Let's par- I can paraphrase it. Let's give a paraphrase there. What does it mean? He was skilled in the word of the Lord that the God had given him. The law of Moses that God had given him. What, did he, what, what does that mean? Come on. Somebody help me. Knew the word of God. He knew the word of God. Guys, you know what? Don't be afraid to make a mistake. I'd rather you make a mistake. I'd love, I'd love to have your input when I'm preaching. All right? He knew the word of God. And that's part of why we have church every week, is to prepare ourselves in the Word of God. That's why we do devotions, and I hope we do devotions at least most of the days of the week. Because we can't know God's Word if we don't read it. Right? If you're preparing for your driving test here, how do you prepare for your driving test Especially the theory part of it. How do you prepare for your driving test? You learn Irish words. <laughs> if you're foreign, you have to learn the Irish terminology. Very good, Laura. Thank you. But how, where do you get those terms from? Where do you read those terms? A book. A book. <laughs> Book's called the Driver's License Manual. You have to study. Okay? Not too thick. It's all right. So you learn. You study. If you're going to pass the driving, t- if and I, I have had to take, because of work, I've had to take a couple of tests on the GR, GDRPs and vetting, and I've had to take tests on all those things. Before I could take the test, what did I have to do to, before I could take those tests? AJ? Practice? No, before I, I can't take, I can't pass it without taking. What did I have to do to get ready for it? I had to learn what all those things were. Most of them I did online, and you read through it, you have to prepare yourself. You have to get ready. He knew the Word of God. He had a basic knowledge of God's Word. Second thing was, God's hand was on him. And if you're a Christian, you can be sure that God's hand is on you. Uh, how do I know that? Well, I think of what Jesus said. Jesus said that when, when we, are, we are, He holds us in the palm of His hand. That's Jesus, okay? And it says we're held in God's hand. Is God's hand on His children? Yes, it is. God is with us. God's hand is on us. We have that privilege achieved. No matter how weak we feel, no matter how small we feel, and how insignificant we might feel, God's hand is is doing His work, and His hand is on you and me. He said, me? Is God's hand really on me? Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm not famous. I, 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 I go to a small church and a small fellowship. And, 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 and well, having God, I, I don't care what we see, God's hand is with us. And that's the basis of us doing anything that God's hand has to be on us. If God's hand were not on us, we might as well walk out of here, close the doors, and never come back again. Do you believe God's hand is on us? If not, we might as well quit. It wouldn't be worth it all, would it? So God's hand was on Ezra. Um, 
some verses. My goodness, some Isaiah. I'm just going to read some verses to you. Um, if you want these verses, let me know. I'll email them to you. I'll text them to you. Isaiah 64 verse 8 says, "We are the work of God's hand." I know what you. I want you yeah, look at Isaiah. If you want to look, look at Isaiah 64 verse 8. Okay, Isaiah 64 verse 8. Let me move my marker here. Isaiah 64 verse 8. But now, Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are our Potter, and all we are the work, and all we are the work of your hand. We are who we are because of what God has done in our lives. Everybody in this room has a different background. We all have different lives. We come from a whole bunch of countries. We come from, some of us had, did anybody in this church have money when you were young? No, there's no money people. Okay, I thought we might have some rich people here. I think we're all in the same boat there. But the Christians come from all walks of life. But we're all the works of God. And I love the picture here. You know, you look at the amazing pottery that Holly does. And when she gets done, when she makes those rabbits, those astounding rabbits that she's doing. Okay? Hairs. When she does those astounding hairs that she's doing, or her regular pottery, when she gets done, who made that piece of pottery? Holly did, right? It's the work of her hands and her skills and her abilities, and the kids are doing some of that now. But the work is the work of her hands. That same picture is made for us. You are, I am, who God made me to be. Some of us aren't as, are, don't, some, I mean, we're, we're all physically different. We don't even, we're, we're nothing alike. We have different abilities. I don't have a clue in a lot of areas. I, I, I struggle to even figure out the basic concepts of some things. You may be skilled in those areas. God made us who we are. He made you the height that you are. He made you exactly everything about you. You are the work of God's hands. And when, when, we, when we look at a challenge like serving God, God says, when God says His hand is on us, that we remember that God made us. Isn't that like the very beginning of um, the catechism? Who made me? Who made me? Is that the first? That, all right. Who made me? God made me. Through all the traditional evangelical conservative catechisms, God made me. The little song, God made me. God made me. In the Bible book I read that God made me. You are who you are. And God's hand is on you. You you are the work of God's hand. Exactly like you are. We don't have to be like somebody else. Um, Psalm 98 verse 1. Psalm 98 verse 1. Okay. uh, I should have marked these. I didn't want to look them up. Psalm 98 verse 1. Sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy holy arm have gained Him the victory. The hand of God is the victory in our lives. Psalm 18, verse 35, it says His right hand holds us up. Isaiah 41, verse 10. We'll look there, and then we'll move on from here. Isaiah 41, verse 10. God says this about us with His hand being on us. Isaiah 41, and verse 10. Uh, fear not for I am with you be not dismayed for I am your God I will strengthen you yes I will help you I will uphold you by my righteous 
right by my righteous hand. God is holding us up. We have God supporting us. And that's the knowledge. When Ezra came back to Jerusalem, that's the knowledge that God came back with. So let's look at verse 10. That's where I want to focus. And before, that was all kind of introductory up to this point to get us to verse 10. And let's pray before we get started. Father, I thank you for um, this opportunity to look at your word. I thank you that we have the foundation laid. Lord, we need to be we, to be skilled in your word. And Lord, we need to remember that your hand is on us. Lord, what a strength it would be when finances go poorly if we could say, my God's hand is upon me. When illnesses and sicknesses attack, when we have family tragedies, when we face any of these struggles, Lord, remind us that your hand is on us and doing the work in us. Lord, bless our time together as we look at the rest of the message. Teach us from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Four things here. Four simple little things in Isaiah or or in Ezra chapter 7 verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes, statutes and ordinances to others. First thing God did, he prepared his heart to seek the Lord. Secondly, he searched his Bible Thirdly, he did the work. And fourthly, he taught others. And for us to survive as a church, for us to thrive as a church, for us to move forward as a church, you and me, all of us together, need to be keeping these things in mind. First thing he did, he prepared his heart to seek the Lord. His heart was ready. To prepare his heart to seek the law of the Lord. The heart is foundational. The heart is not that organ that beats in our chest, necessarily. That's part of it. The heart is not the issue that Mary's dad is having. The heart that I had operated on four years ago is my physical heart. It is the essence of my life. If I had not had my heart fixed, I'd probably be dead by now. I probably would have done it within a couple of weeks but when they, when they found that I was, I was a pretty sick camper, a pretty ill guy. If Mary didn't have these doctors to go to to get his heart taken care of, he would die. He might even be dead by now if he hadn't had doctors to take care of his physical heart. That one part of us, if that one part stops, we're gone. Okay? Same thing is true spiritually. Our spiritual heart is the core of of everything that we do. It's not our outside works. It's not all the extra extra things out there. It, it, it's not all the stuff on the physical, the out physical side of us. It comes to our heart. And God says a lot about the heart. Ezra dedicated himself to preparing his heart to seek the Lord. Why do we have to prepare our heart? I can tell you a couple of reasons why we have to prepare our heart. Jeremiah 7.19 says the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked who can know it. My heart is not naturally prepared to seek God. Because if I'm lost, if I don't know Christ, my heart is not naturally prepared to seek God. The Holy Spirit has to do a work. If I want to know God better, better, I need to, I need to incline my heart. Because my heart 
is disinclined to seek God. It takes work. Something we have to do to seek preparing our hearts. How to another reason another we have to prepare our hearts is because Proverbs twenty eight verse twenty six says, "He who trusts his heart is a fool." Trust your heart is probably the biggest load of rubbish advice that was ever given. Trust how you feel? No. We have a guide and, and, and Ezra prepared his heart to do what? To seek the law of God. To seek the word of God in his life. Our heart must be prepared. Matthew 6 verse 21 and Matthew 5 18 and 19 say the same basic idea. The fact is that out of the, out of the heart everything we do those verses say Whatever we do on the outside comes from the heart. We can't. We, we, we can fake our heart for a while, can't we? Sure we can. But essentially, the real us is going to come out. I can change the outside. Sure I can. You can make me comply with a bunch of rules. You can force me to act in a certain way. You can force me to go to this place or don't go to that place. You can force me to dress in a certain manner. You can force me with all kinds of regulations and I can comply. But if my heart's not right, I'm never going to change. Mary and I taught in a Christian school for, what, nearly 10 years? We taught in a Christian school? And that Christian school had very strict rules for the students to follow. You had to do this, you couldn't do this, all those kind of things. Nothing necessarily bad. When you went there, you knew what the rules were and you signed up. And I believe if you go to a place like that and you sign up to obey the rules, you better obey the rules or your heart is wrong. You've made a choice. But we found out, and I've seen, I mean, back then, um, goodness, in the 70s, 80s, American Christians seemed to think the Christian school was the panacea for everything. It was the cure for everything. You go to Christian school, the kids are going to be fine. And they're going to grow up to serve God, and it's going to be everything's going to be hunky dory. <clears throat> but in those Christian schools, sure, we tried to reach the heart, but we forced them to conform on the outside, and that doesn't work. You can force people to change their shirt, but they've got to change their heart. We need to decide where our hearts are. Do I have a heart that's dedicated to seeking God and His Word, or do I have a heart that's more dedicated to what I? want to do believe it or not I've been doing my daily devotions I can say daily for about 20 years if I've missed it's been something unusual okay but if, my, if I, I can but the problem with even doing that is that can become routine it can become just a matter of part of what I do if my heart isn't ready when I study God's word myself on a daily basis we can come to church well, amen, hallelujah, I was in church Sunday. But if we don't come to church with our hearts prepared to seek God's word, then we're not going to get much out of it. So Ezra, the first thing he did was prepare his heart because that was foundational. Second thing he did, he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. We have one guide. I try to stick to God's word, but I hope, I've learned by experience, 
if you if you try to follow a man, even a professing godly man, you're going to be disappointed. I have, I'm sure I've disappointed everybody in this room the time you've known me. You know why? Because I'm a man. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to blow it. I'm going to make you angry. I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to let you down. Better be ready for that because it's the truth. I'm not going to do it on purpose. I'm not going to intentionally hurt anybody. But I'm human and things get by me and things slip by. And that's the way it is. But you know what never changes? God's Word never changes. It's always there. It's always constant. That's why Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. He, we already know that he had a basic foundation on it, but that's where he went. The stuff that the revival under the boy King Josiah. Do you know what? Um, when Josiah was king, um, he discovered there was a book, the book of the law of the Lord, and he went out and the first thing he did was he tried to apply the law of the Lord to the nation because they knew the importance of seeking God's word. Two Timothy chapter three verse sixteen. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Literally, God breathed. I think it was this morning. Didn't we hear this morning? The word of God is sharp and powerful, or quick and powerful than sharper than a two-edged sword. It's the place where we can find comfort. This is not just ink on a page. It's not just bandwidth on your device. This is the living word of God. And it's the only thing that's going to protect us. It's all God breathed. Literally, um, I think most translations say something like uh, all scriptures given by the inspiration of God which is true but it's literally God breathed into the men who wrote scripture his word he used them, he used their personalities but he breathed his word into them and that's what we have today we have the very breath of God in front of us today that's why we seek this that's why we don't seek alternate sources God's word is what we say. He sought the law of the Lord. It's profitable. We can learn doctrine. We can learn how to correct. We can teach people how to live righteously. Psalm 119 verse 11 says that God's word will keep us from sin. Psalm 119, 105 says the word of the Lord is light unto our feet. Proverbs 1 verse 1 and 2, it's the source of wisdom. Romans 10, 17, God's word brings faith. John 20, verse 30 and 31, it brings salvation over and over again. 1 John 1, 4, it brings joy in our lives. We have got to absolutely fall in love with the word of God, folks. It's got to be our guiding pattern. It's got to be part of our daily lives. Most of us, unless we're sick, we're not going to go all day without eating physical food. Unless you're fasting or you've got a purpose. We're not. It would be a very rare day for me to miss my meals. I like eating. That's obvious. And I'm getting a grin here that I know. I love my food. And, there, and, and I think most of us do too. You fix the right thing, most of us are going to tuck right into it. Okay? But how much of us love God's Word that much? How, much how, many, how many of us treasure God's Word above my daily food, my daily essence? We've got to have God's Word. And Ezra prepared his heart to seek the Word of God. We need to be making Bible-based decisions based directly on what God says. 
So Ezra prepared, prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. He prepared his heart to seek what the Word of God says. Next thing we read, he did the work. Um, Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. And those little words just kind of tucked in there. He prepared his heart to do the Word of God. James writes um, that we are to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. I think I preached on that before, didn't I? Yeah, God. He tells us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. It, it's wonderful to be a Bible scholar. Part of the thing I did in Christian school, I taught Bible drill, sword drills, and um, my sword drill team. A sword drill is when you you study a passage of scripture and you go and they ask you questions on it, and the team tries to be the first to answer the question. So the better learned you are on that passage of scripture, the better your team's going to do. And I, my team went, we, I, I loved coaching that, um, and my team were actually state champions in the sword drill one year. And we were so good that we had enough points to win when there were still like 10 questions left in the, in the competition. Um, all we had to do, all, all we had to do was keep my students, they had to, they said, just don't even get up, don't make a mistake, You're, keep your, put, sit on your hands, don't move, we've got enough points to win without them doing anything. And some of them still, they couldn't resist it, but we still... But anyway, they knew that passage of Scripture. You can start quoting a verse and somebody jump up and have the answer. That's okay, isn't it? That's a good idea. But unless it went to their hearts, did it make a difference? No. It was just there. And I know, and I'm, 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 being a, I'm overdoing it a bit because yes, there may be some of those kids today whose God words... It's alive, right? Who may still be working in their lives today in ways we can't see. We've got to do God's word. Doesn't the word of God say, go into all the well, I'll hold that till later. Go ahead, no, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Is that the word of God? Yes? Are we told clearer that unless people hear the word of God, salvation comes by the word of God and we and and, and, and that the word of God must be preached to the to the people around us. Does God's word say that? Does God's word say that we are to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and other most parts? Does God's word say that? Is that is that is that biblical? We all know it. Problem is, and I'm talking to Roger, my first person on my list is am I doing it? Am I looking for opportunities to tell my family and friends and my co-workers and people I meet on my walk? Am I sharing God's Word with them? That is what is going to change this country. No, let me, I'll stop there because we'll get to the last point. It does no good just to learn it. Faith without works, the Bible says, is dead. But then there's the last point. That's why that's I want to finish. It says he, he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. The last thing he had to do was he was to share God's word. I jumped ahead of myself there. He had to prepare his heart to seek the word of God, to do God's word and share it with others. The only thing that is going to bring spiritual renewal to Ireland, to Nace, to County Kildare, to the place you work, to the place where you live, in your family, is if we are doing the task of sharing God's Word with those around us. Prepare? Yeah, we have to get ready. Yeah, obviously. We get our hearts ready. We spend time in God's Word to prepare our hearts. We seek what God's Word wants in our life. Because if we seek what God's Word wants for us, 
Our lives are going to be different. People are going to know there's a difference in our lives. I firmly believe that if you take a job or you go into a workplace or you meet a group of friends, if they don't know within a few hours, without you saying a word, if they don't know in a few hours that there's something different about you, then we're not living properly according to the Word of God. There needs to be a difference. Why? Because Peter writes about the fact that we live these ways so that we'd be ready to give an answer of the hope that's within us. Our lives are different. And yes, a huge part of our sharing is by the lives we live, by the way we talk and act, things we do and don't do. A lot of us involved in that. But we've got to be able, the last thing that Ezra had to do was to teach, to tell people how to, be, how to follow God's word. But if we're not living God's word, nobody's going to wonder why we live the way we do. We're never going to have a chance to teach it. How are we doing? You know, I, I don't know whether Francis Saint Francis Saint Francis said that said this exactly, and I can see the um, Francis of Assisi. I, I don't. I, I can see some of the wisdom of it. What he said: I seek to preach the word of God and sometimes use words if necessary. Great concept. All right? But we've got to use the words. They may know I'm different, but if I don't tell them why I'm different, they're never going to come to Christ. And their hearts are never going to be changed. Not good enough to copy my life. Why do we love? Why do we do those things? We love because God says love. No. But, we, but we, loving is just a part of it. If we're going to do make a big difference, people, Christians have been trying in this part of the island for 1,500 years to reach this part of the country with the gospel. Huge revivals up north, Wales, Scotland. We've never had one of those huge nationwide movements of God's Holy Spirit. Do you think that you think the God who brought the gospel to the north is still alive today? Do you think the God who woke up Wales who woke up Scotland and England and France and Germany, America, twice, two great, two great movies of God. Do you think he's still alive today? Are we any less than the Christians of those days? Back in the 1850s, I think it was. No, it was during the Civil War. During the 1860s in America, a guy named Jeremiah Lampier. One man, one man, got a burden for the country because he saw a country turning from God and he announced he'd be praying at a certain church at noon I think it was every Tuesday he was going to be praying first week he went he prayed all by himself second week he went he prayed all by himself the third week not somebody else came and they kept inviting people to come pray for their country and they came and prayed. And within about six months, they, had to, they, they kept finding bigger and building, and they had to spread. The prayer meetings had to spread from room to room to room to room. And after the terrible destruction of America's Civil War, a great spiritual revival came as people were saved because God's people were praying. And you know what? If you're praying somebody, you can't keep your mouth shut because God's going to tell you you need to share with them. I may be naive. I don't think so. I've been here 25 years. I think I know this country pretty well. I think I know the spiritual state of this country pretty well. 
But I still believe that God can stir the heart of Ireland. I'm grateful for things. See, not everybody does things exactly what we do, but I'm hearing little pockets where people are being saved and this part, this area, and, and this, this thing is going on. And, 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 and I hear these rumors and I'm seeing results and God's using this group and this group and this group. I think God wants, God may be getting ready to move in our country. But you know what? If we're not doing our part, it's not going to happen. We need to prepare our hearts to seek the law of the Lord. Prepare our hearts to seek God's word. Then we need to do God's word so that people see it in our lives. And then we've got to share it, teach them the word of God. That was our that was Jesus' last commission. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Father, I thank you for this passage. Lord, my heart's been stirred. I am so convicted right now about my own life. Lord, if we did an altar call like they do in the States, I'd be the first one down the aisle this morning because I need I need my heart changed. I need my heart to be ready. I need to be daily preparing my heart for you to do great things. I need to be spending more time in your word. I need to be <clears throat> doing your work in my life. And Lord, I need to be sharing. I think we're all kind of in that same situation. Stir our hearts to do what you have us to do. Help us to be like Ezra-like in our service for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.